Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Sunday service. Um, I'm Nayaswami Mantradevi. This is Nayaswami Krishnadas. And welcome to everyone, everyone who's taking programs at the Expanding Light, all our residents, and all of you watching online. I'm going to read from Rays of the One Light, and these are commentaries on the Bible and Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. This week, the topic is inner, inner Kingdom. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Most people imagine that the inner kingdom, as Jesus described it, lacks the fascination they attribute to sense life. The bright lights, the diverse attractions, the joys and the laughter. Little do they realize what a vast universe exists in their own selves. There are many passages in the Old and New Testaments of the Bible that describe aspects of this inner kingdom. In the book of Genesis, we read, And the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This garden was in no earthly place. It exists even now in the very self of every human being. The legend of Adam and Eve is allegorical. It describes how the first human beings dissipated their spiritual energy centered in the spine. The spine is the channel through which flows the river of baptism and of spiritual life. The Bhagavad Gita tells us the wise speak of an eternal Ashvata tree and its roots above and its branches below. The tree of life, spoken of also in Genesis, is the spine. Its roots are above in the brain's energy. Its branches are the outward spreading nervous system. When the sap, which is to say the energy, flows downward, the consciousness is drawn into delusion. On the other hand, when the energy is drawn upward in deep meditation, the consciousness is drawn toward its eternal source, God, and, and, and is at last united with Him. Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita therefore urges His chief disciple Arjuna to embrace the yoga science, the path of meditation. The yogi, he says, is greater than the ascetic greater even than the followers of the paths of wisdom, jnana yoga, or of action, karma yoga. Be thou, O Arjuna, a yogi. For those who would find the divine truth, Krishna gives this description of the yogi. Steadfast a lamp burns, sheltered from the wind, steadfastly meditating, solitary. Such is the likeness of the yogi's mind, shut from sense storms and burning bright to heaven. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, oh, oh. 
Good morning, everyone. So I'll read from Whispers from Eternity, Poems and Prayers by Paramahansa Yogananda. Make me silent that I may eloquently converse with thee. I wandered through forests of incessant searchings and arrived at the mystery door of thy presence. On the doors of silence I knocked loudly with my persistent blows of faith and the doors of space opened. There on the altar of glorious visions I beheld thee resting. I stood with restless eyes waiting for thee to speak. I heard not thy creation-making voice. At last the spell of stillness stole upon me and in whispers taught me the language of angels. With the lisping voice, with the lisping voice of newborn freedom, I tried to speak, and the lights of thy temple assumed sudden brilliancy and wrote letters of light. Written, In my little chamber of quietness, I am always resting. I never speak, but with the voice of my silence. Through my silence, eloquently converse with me. Whenever I hear of doors, it reminds us that maybe, are they open? Are they locked? Are they available to us? On this beautiful morning, we're going to be talking about the inner kingdom. But look at the outer kingdom. Flowers are blooming, gorgeous colors, sunshine, warmth of the rays on our face. Beautiful, isn't it? But we need the inner kingdom because those flowers, they fade. Petals drop, sunshine goes behind the clouds, rain comes. Same with our moods, you know. It can make us cheerful, but if we're dependent on the outer kingdom only, then our mood can go with that. Fade and get into a depression, despair, things like that. So the inner kingdom is what we really need. And then everything outside becomes beautiful, no matter what it is. We pull back and watch the dance, the play of God, creation. So it I, reminds me of a joke. Um, there was a Swami, it was Q&A time. So he said, um, are there any questions for his students? And a student in the back said, Swamiji, what is the key to the universe? And the Swami thought, good question, my child. First, there is good news and there is bad news. He said, first, the bad news. There is no key. <laughs> now I'll give you the good news. The door was never locked. <laughs> I read this cute little anecdotal story of uh, Houdini, which I believe if Houdini was living during the time of Krishna or the Mahabharata, Krishna probably would have said, 
um, of, of the of magicians, I am Houdini. <laughs> so Houdini was, uh, he had this standing challenge uh, out there that he could get out of any jail within one hour. So, uh, and he proved that again and again. But there was a new jail being built in, in somewhere in the British Isles, and they, they picked up on that. So they challenged the Houdini. They said, let's see if you can get out of our jail, state of the art. Okay? So Houdini takes the challenge. Part of it was um, he requested that he, no one's, he goes in with his street clothes on, and no one watches his work while he's doing it. So they agreed to that condition. So they put him in the jail, and the jailer shuts the door with kind of an odd move. So Houdini's in there, and he, he has a metal strip in his belt. So he takes it out, and he's working on the lock. goes half hour, 45 minutes. He's beginning to sweat, you know. Hour. It's past his, his challenge time. Hour and a half. Two hours. He's exhausted, and he gives up. And he leans on the door, and it opens. (laughs) So the joke was on Houdini. They had never locked the door. (laughs) And so it is with us. The the joke is on us, because we think this, the beauty of creation and God and all, all the glory of God is locked or kept from us, but it isn't. We have to learn how to um, go within and experience God within, in our soul. Because that's where God resides within us. And then through that doorway, we see God everywhere, right? So these doors, um, Yogananda, he was in bliss all the time. So in that bliss state, he would look at a tree and he'd say, "Um, there he is. There he is. He'd see God everywhere. We want to see God everywhere. So we need to get into that bliss state if we're going to see God reflected back as he did. So this, this inner kingdom, we've been given the techniques of yoga and meditation, of how to go within. And there are doors that lead in, and there are doors that lead out. You know, We have to take those doors that lead in first. And then when we go through the, the doors out, it'll be the right doors. Because those doors in, what are they? Yoga, meditation, um, and, and where do they lead? Into light, the inner light. Yogananda described as a, brighter than a thousand million suns. Or the, it leads to the inner sounds, the sound of Om. Jesus called it the comforter, the witness, that which all things will be known to you if we can commune with Om. Or the peace, God's peace, peace that passeth all understanding. Or Yogananda called God, in his aspect of peace, the most joy-inspiring reality in the universe. Those are the doors in. We have to commune with those states. The doors out, well, religion gives us those, right? The seven deadly sins. In the Gita, it talks about the three gateways to hell, the deadly sins of wrath and envy and sloth. And so on. And the door, the, the gateways, anger, lust, and hatred. We have to avoid those doors because then it just creates 
a hell for us. Those are the three gateways to hell. Heaven, the state that is within us, as Jesus said, go within. He also said that hell is below and heaven is above. So we learn to go within and we raise our energy up the spine through the, 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 the doorways of the chakras to the point between the eyebrows. So we have our Kriya Yoga for that. But a disciple asked Yogananda once, he said, Sir, is there another scientific method apart from Kriya Yoga that will lead the devotee to God? He said, yes. The sure and swift way to God or to the infinite is to keep your attention at the Christ consciousness center between the eyebrows. Simple. Simple. Because I always feel a little bad, you know, if I'm talking to new people and, and we go on and on about Kriya Yoga, we want to inspire you if it's a path that you resonate with. You're here. Delve into Yogananda's teachings and Swami Kriyananda. See if it's the one for you. Because Kriya Yoga is the key. Even, the doors, even though the doors aren't locked. <laughs> it's the key to higher consciousness. It's the key to God-realization. I was uh, in Portland years ago, and this yogi was traveling, Shiva Bala Yogi. So he was giving a technique. He had some credentials. He was uh, um, something like for 16 years, he meditated 14 hours a day in a cave. And then for 20 years, he med meditated 18 hours a day. Now, today we would have just said for 46 years, he meditated from 14 to 20 hours. But anyway, they broke it up like that. It was more impressive. So I thought, I'm going to go get the darshan of this, this great yogi. He was visiting. So he's sitting there. His hands are kind of gnarled. Probably did not care because he was in bliss state, you know, all those years in that damp cave, perhaps. So his assistant went around, and he was going to reveal this technique. So he went into the ear of each uh, person, he said, close your eyes and concentrate here. And he touched us at the point between the eyebrows. So with each person, oh, he said, um, don't open your eyes and concentrate here. Don't open your eyes and concentrate here. And he told each person, it became like a mantra, you know, don't open your eyes and concentrate here. So I always think of that, you know, I think. Yogananda said, if we just kept our mind at the point between the eyebrows, we would evolve quick, very quickly. But it's so hard, isn't it? It's hard to keep it there even in meditation. But we have to keep trying. What to speak of when you're out, out and about, you know, trying to keep your mind here. But he said, nevertheless, if we can do it all the time, we would evolve quickly. Uh -huh. So... We have been on the path, many of us, many years, some less, some it's new. We don't want to discourage you, but because it it's nothing to be discouraged about, it's wonderful. Those times in meditation when you feel God's presence so strongly in your heart, maybe after a Kriya initiation, you're just in a bliss state, you don't even know what day it is, you know, these states come upon us and they're beautiful. So for us, we have to increase our fervor because there's no end, right? 
There's no end. When they asked Yogananda, is there any end evolution? He said, he goes, no, you go on until you reach endlessness. And Swami loved that answer. He said, what a beautiful answer. Because who could answer that? You go on until you reach endlessness. So we have to increase our fervor. I was reading in uh, the Desert Fathers, sayings of the Desert Fathers. They, had, they were like gurus, you know, and they would have mentors. And this one abbot went to another abbot, Lot. And he said, um, abbot, Lot, I... I, to the best of my strength, I keep a moderate rule of prayer and fasting, quiet and meditation, and to the best of my ability, I try to control my imagination. And Abbot Lot, he was elderly, he slowly stood up, arms raised to heaven, and his, as if his fingers became like flames. And he said, If thou will, thou shalt become all flame. I love that. I got chills when I, you know, when I read that. Because he was saying, we need to awaken that enthusiasm. What Yogananda said, he was, cry for God if you have to. Shake it. Shake the universe. He said, about getting a job, you, you remember that's, that quote, he said, he goes, if I didn't have a job, I would shake this universe until the universe gave me one, until somebody said, give that guy a job just to keep him quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so the fervor that we need to bring into our, our, our practices, and not kind of step out of this, you know, it's time to meditate again, and we kind of get into a rote thing. It's good, you know, the discipline is good, but we need to awaken that fervor in our heart, right? So there was this woodcutter. He went into the forest to gather his wood, and there was a holy man he came upon, and the holy man said, Go forward, my good man, go forward. So the woodcutter went back home, and a couple of days went by. He's kind of thinking about, pondering the fact that he met this holy man, and the holy man said, my good man, go forward. The holy man said, go forward. So he went back into the forest, and he went deeper into the woods, and he discovered a grove of sandalwood trees. So, wow, sandalwood is valuable. He gathered the sandalwood, took it back to the village, sold it in the marketplace, and became very, very wealthy, enjoying his wealth. A couple weeks went by, he said, you know, the holy man said, just told me to go forward. So he went forward. He went back into the woods, went past the sandalwood grove. There, next to a river, discovered a silver mine. Harvested the silver, took it back to the village, sold it, became so wealthy he didn't know how much money he had. Again, a couple days later, he went, he's getting it. He goes forward deeper, crosses the river, discovers a gold mine. Mines that gold, takes it back. Again, a few days later, goes back, goes further, discovers heaps of diamonds and gems and precious stones, takes those. And he said, he became so wealthy, he was richer than the god of wealth himself. So for us, we need to keep going forward don't be satisfied with a little bit of peace, with the stillness. It's beautiful. The stillness itself is so beautiful because we're so busy, so active. Stillness is basically like a springboard into deeper states of peace and calmness and joy. 
So we need to keep going with our sadhana, with fervor, with this awakened enthusiasm, because we know that Swami writes, just, just as the inherent in, in the apple blossom, it's inevitable that an apple will come. So if you do these scientific techniques of meditation, it is inevitable that we will find God-realization. We just have to keep going forward. There was, so we need pers- perseverance. We need perseverance. There was a story I read. It's so inspiring to me. That it was called the Miracle Bridge. And it's the Brooklyn Bridge. And the Brooklyn Bridge and the, uh, spans a river between Brooklyn and Manhattan. So this fellow in the 18, late 1800s, he's an engineer, bridge builder. He's inspired by an idea. He says, I'm going to build a bridge to cross that river. All the bridge builders of his day said, that's impossible. It can't be done. Forget it. But he didn't listen to that. So he inspired his son, Washington. His name was John Roebling. So John had a son named Washington. And Washington was uh, studying engineering. So he inspired his son to join him in this quest. So they came together and they devised a plan that they thought would work convincingly because they got bankers even to back them, right? So they went at it, building this bridge that was impossible to build. Now, only several months into it, there was a tragic on-site accident where John Roebling was killed. And Washington was injured seriously where he was in bed. He could not move and he could not talk. All he could do was move one finger. So he's laying there. God bless him, because wouldn't most people just give up? It's done. You know, bad luck, bad karma. It wasn't meant to be. So he's laying there, and his wife's sitting next to him. He, he has this idea to create this communication code where he could communicate with her. So he teaches it to her, and he taps on her arm the instructions on how to build this bridge, which she takes to the engineers that were still sort of groping with how to do it, and she communicates to them how the bridge could be done. Thirteen years, he taps out this code, and the bridge is completed. Now, I don't know who's from back east, but did you know the Brooklyn Bridge was done that way? I certainly didn't. Um, so just think of, and people like that, like Helen Keller, you know, born dumb and blind, and, and this, the story of her is so inspiring that when she was, as the story goes, when, when she was in uncontrollable. So they got this expert, Ann Sullivan, to come in and help her try to reach her. She was like in this horrible, confined, dark space. But she, uh, Ann Sullivan noticed she was very brilliant and she was very sharp. And so she got through to her. And when she taught her the hand uh, moves for the deaf, once she cracked that code, she wanted to know everything. Everything she grabbed, she wanted to know what it was. 
as she moved through her life, her world, learning everything voraciously. So I, I uh, made some notes because it was so interesting. So, in, so she grew up. At eight, in 1890, she gained admittance to Radcliffe College and then graduated um, at 18 years old. Cum laude, like with honors. This person that was just in a lower age probably would just have been left to die. She finished her first book before she graduated. It was a story of my life called. And then 13 more books she wrote. She was proficient in Latin, Greek, German, French. Isn't that amazing? At 31, she began her lifelong work, and she traveled to 39 countries. She was a tireless advocate, improving life for the blind and the deaf. Now, someone else would have just given up, right? I mean, that, that's some pretty serious handicaps to be in the state she was in. You know, I think people like that, and I mean, those of you in this room, you know, you, you, you see that your handicaps are, or your weaknesses, that your perceived weaknesses are really your stepping stones to strengthening, you know, girding yourself against all adversity. Because the inner demons and the inner uh, blocks and doubts and fears and so on and so forth are greater than anything that the exterior could give us. Our own Swami Kriyananda, we would not be sitting in this temple if he didn't have the persistence and the perseverance and the dogged willpower to stay with the vision that he had early in his life, aligned it with Yogananda, and created Ananda. And I can't wait for Asha's book because she's going to have it all laid out and we could resource it a lot easier than take the time to look up everything as it happened in sequential order of how Swami Kriyananda, the adversities and the challenges and the obstacles, everything he overcame to, to create Ananda. I was with him once in the dome, and I happened to be standing next to him as he was walking down. This is in the early years before his hip replacements. Okay, And he put his hand on my shoulder, which I was really happy to support Swami. Any of us were just happy to do anything for Swami because of what he had given us, you know, gave us a life. So I, I stepped down and, and I, was, I, I turned and smiled, you know, to him because his face was very close, thinking, you know, his face was shaking. Like, you know, there was pain in his face. And I, was, I never forgot that look, you know. And then we walked down the steps. He walked over to his chair and gave a stunning, as usual, talk. Or maybe he even read P.G. Woodhouse. I can't remember the occasion. But his hips, as we learned later, that's just one thing, right? His hips, when he did get them replaced, the doctor said they were like bone on bone, just rubbing. There was no cushion. He said he could not believe anyone would be vertical with hips like that. And that was just one. Then he went on with his heart difficulty and, you know, on and on. He had more, not to mention the community burning down and a lawsuit and, you know, on and on from out and then his own health from within. And, I mean, incredible. 
So as a, this example, we had close to our life, many of us had known Swami, and you could read all about his uh, life in, in what he left us, the legacy. Um, a place called Ananda. It's all very nicely put in there. So at any rate, for us, we have to come back to um, remembering, as I'm sure you do, the great gift that we have this path and the path of Kriya Yoga and the spiritual family that we have and this place that is Ananda and our communities worldwide that Swami's vision and Master's vision gave us to live our life while much of the world is tearing itself apart or dealing with all kinds of problems just just from the, the physical plane of as you may well know if you read the news <laughs> floods and famine and war and so on so let's remember that in our gratitude for our lives here and as we go forward master yogananda sums it up he says do not expect a spiritual blossom every day in the garden of your life. Have faith that the Lord, to whom you have surrendered yourselves, will bring you divine fulfillment at the proper time. You have already sown the seed of God aspiration. Water it with prayer and right actions. Remove the weeds of doubt, indecision, and lethargy. When sprouts of divine perceptions appear, tend them with devotional care. One morning you will behold the flower of self-realization. Seek your home in a land where all are strangers. 
Yeah. 